Well, the last of a series this morning um, uh, on um, God's promises or living in God's promises or God's life-giving promises, we called it, didn't we? God's life-giving promises. And today I'm calling it, what are we waiting for? And I think you'll see um, that's got two kind of meanings, but it'll become a bit clearer later on. So what are we waiting for? Um, when difficult times come, I'm sure that's happened for every one of us. Uh, when difficult times come, uh, we open our Bibles and we look for God to talk to us. True? And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're looking for some, some pointer to the future. In other words, we're looking for a promise. That would be right, wouldn't it? We're not just looking for advice about what's happened in the past. We're looking for where things might go, what we need to know in order to make some progress. And so I'm sure that many of us just uh, treasure very highly and it could recount some experiences of um, uh, many experiences of just being upheld by God's word. They're deeply sustainous and my prayer is that that will continue. Um, God also wants us by his promises and we've tried to emphasise this during this uh, series. God also wants to not just... um, open up himself to us in the context of our need but he wants to open us up in context of his agenda that is when God actually tells us what he's going to do he's, uh, for example Habakkuk uh, Habakkuk says what's going on about these Babylonians how can this be, beginning of Habakkuk what's, what's God doing, he says I'm doing a work in your day you wouldn't believe if I told you uh, and it wasn't easy news that he got But Habakkuk was needing to enter into God's uh, agenda that he had for Israel and for Babylon, of course. And so he had to reveal some amazing things to him. Uh, God also wants to take us into his larger view and to grow strong. So we're talking about that sort of thing this morning. And that means that trusting God and believing his promises is not always easy. Uh, and uh, there should be a little dot after that which goes down onto the next line. The first of those dots should be, it involves waiting. Sorry, that computer didn't uh, do what I thought it was going to do. It should have done it. You know, computers do things automatically these days. I thought that should have just happened, but it didn't. Uh, it involves waiting. Uh, secondly, we're dealing with things we can't see. Um, I, I suppose most of us are the same, aren't we? I mean, it's nice to be able to talk about things that are tangible. I remember from years ago being involved in a committee organising things for a, a public meeting between some churches. And um, it was interesting when it came to prayer, very few people wanted to pray, but when it came to organising, everybody had some ideas. <laughs> we, we were actually we're at home dealing with, with um, nuts and bolts. That's true. And... Um, we feel like we've got some confidence there and can do stuff, but, um, but we're dealing with things we can't see or control when we're talking about God's promises. Uh, we're scoffed at and opposed by the world because they say, uh, you believe all that stuff that's fairy tales. Um, and uh, these things show up in our personal, personal weaknesses. I think that's the most difficult thing about all of this, that um, you know, um, uh, we read a, a thing that... Um, in, in Romans chapter 5 where it says um, rejoice in your tribulations and I say come on just a minute it said rejoice in sharing the glory of God I can handle that bit but rejoice in tribulation uh, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience can you rejoice in that as well um, 
and uh, then that develops character and in that context hope doesn't disappoint us. You see, you don't get at the hope bit without some trouble. So we might be wanting for more hope, we might be wanting for God to shout something from the heavens that gives us some more hope for the future. God might be saying, hang in there Grant, I've got some good things for you but you have to hang in for a while, you know. The tribulation works patience, the patience works experience, the experience works hope and hope doesn't leave us ashamed because God's love shed abroad in our hearts. So that's what I mean, that there's, um, there's more to just uh, promises than finding some comfort that's also that it causes us to grow. And none of these difficulties therefore need to tarnish our faith. Um, and uh, certainly uh, it's quite interesting, you read the Gospels and there's not a great amount of emphasis on the actual physical sufferings of Jesus. And then when Paul uh, is obliged to tell people what he's been through for Christ, he says, I'm being crazy, he says, I don't like doing this. Uh, and uh, mothers and par- parents don't say, say to their children, oh, we've given up all this, well if they do they've got it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Parents don't do that, they just give for their children, you know, and, and it involves suffering so you don't make a big thing of it. So um, uh, this, uh, these difficulties don't need to tarnish our faith, there's something big that our, we're being expanded into and uh, God's opened up his heart to us. That's what God's promises are. Uh, fancy Adam and Eve looking around for something to cover them, their nakedness. And God not only gives them some clothes, but he actually says, I'm going to use one of your children to overcome all that's happened here. That's a promise. Oh, that just does so much for their understanding of themselves and their future, isn't it? And um, uh, God has opened up his heart to us and he's calling us to discover his faithful love. So he wants us to live in hope and wait for the time of fulfilment, but does involve waiting. So God enables us to live in his eternal plan, and therefore we need some perseverance. And Hebrews has a lot, so all of us say from here on in is basically in this passage, Hebrews 10, 32, right through chapter 11 and into chapter 12, verse 3. It doesn't mean to say I'm going to go through the whole passage, it just means that I'm going to take what I'm saying from that section in relation to promise. Um, so the letter of Hebrews has much to say about living by God's promise and um, in particular uh, dealing, for example, with the church. Now I'm going down to my fourth dot point in the next heading for this. Um, again, my computer didn't do things automatically like it should have and put things in a nice order for me, but there are enemies of people who first get this letter and it's introduced to us in chapter 10 and verse 30, um, 32. Uh, 32. Recall the former days, and he's writing pastoral letter to his, uh, this church. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is, became Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on those in prison, joyfully avoided and uh, uh, accepted the plundering of your property think about that since you knew that you sometimes you had a better possession and an abiding one so hope and God's promise was sustaining them so don't throw away your confidence this letter's got a lot to do with confidence it has a lot to don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward you have need of endurance that's what we're referring to so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, that, I don't know how many dozens of times that verse comes to mind. 
grant. You need patience. <laughs> uh, and you probably had the same experience. Um, so the letter has much to say about God's promises, but also living by, um, by God's um, uh, this particular congregation needed to get some help to live by what was unseen rather than what would be culturally safe. Uh, the actual situation was probably that these people were understanding now that Christians were being separated from Jews. They weren't just seen by Rome anymore as a subset of, of uh, Judaism. Uh, Rome had got wise to the fact they were a separate sect and treating them differently. And uh, so they were wanting to you know, nestle back into Judaism where it was a bit safer. That's probably the scenario that's actually happening here. Um, anyway, uh, have a look at some examples that he actually gives to them. Um, we're talking about uh, the difficulties that, um, that, that, that are faced by the Lord's people. and this, uh, So there's a catalogue. Uh, it's interesting, I've got a book at home called uh, by Tim Keller by Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's a great book if you need it, but he's, a, he's just a a very good um, understander of where people are at. And he says, when it comes to suffering, some people are helped by a principle, some people are helped by, uh, by a comforter alongside them, and other people are helped by stories of other people. And so every chapter he puts in a story of somebody who's been through a particular circumstance that he's been writing about, because he just knows that we help. So here Hebrews is telling us some stories that might just help us. Uh, and so in relation to this suffering, he, he says, if you like, have a look at Abram and Sarah. Uh, God tells them they're going to have a child. That's a promise. Okay, what next? No maternity ward. No buying diapers. Decade passes. Still no kid. I mean, it's, it's quite something, isn't it? To have a promise. And then nothing happens. So they wait for decades for a child uh, God's child, promised child to them and they have to live amongst enemies all the time God says this is your land and he's actually arrived there and he's made offerings to God in this uh, built altars and stuff but he doesn't own us anything and he has to deal with enemies it's interesting isn't it and everyone in the Old Testament must wait for the promises to be filled. He says, all of the, at the end of the chapter of chapter 11 he says all these died in faith not having received what was promised because what was being promised was going to only fulfilled through Jesus Christ, which was us that gets the, the answer to the promise. But they had to live with the promise, but not with the fulfilment. Interesting, isn't it? Whole Old Testament. That's the way he summarises it. Um, and uh, so then go down a little bit. We've already looked at that next one. And we are warned, therefore, not to shrink back. 10.36, he says, and this is the, the, where he quotes Habakkuk, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. Uh, and Habakkuk says, my righteous one shall live by faith, faith in God's promises. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, are we people who shrink back uh, when life gets difficult? Or do the promises come to life in that setting? Um, God is painting on a large canvas and he needs us to step back with him and appreciate that more is going on that we may understand while we wait. So that's the first thing, the difficulties. It's always been the case. 
If you receive God's promises, God is engaging you in his agenda. He's not just giving you comfort, he's engaging you in his agenda. And he wants you to travel with him. Uh, And there's more to come about that in what we say. But second, uh, hoping for things we can't see should not be, in fact it's what faith is, uh, is no problem to faith. And that's what we need to look at here. So this is where chapter 11 begins with this very famous statement. Faith is the, old A.V. used to say, that faith is the substance of things hoped for in the evidence of things not seen. But here in my NEB, sorry, ESV it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In one sense they're parallel statements. Um, it's interesting the word that's uh, translated here um, as assurance or uh, in the old translation substance um, can be translated in either way and is translated in different, different ways. Uh, back in chapter 1 verse 3 the same word is translated nature. Christ has the very nature of God if you like the very substance of God. So substance is a legitimate translation because it's used that way elsewhere in the book but also later on in chapter 3 verse 36, for 3 verse 14 it's uh, translated as assurance. So the word can have both of those meanings and so, so can the second word but um, one, um, uh, what do you call it, lexographer, how do you say that, Lex, lexographer is it? something like that, you know, people who study words, in other words, uh, said that underneath both of these words is the idea of a foundation and something that's reliable, something that's been tested and you can rely on. So that's what we're talking about. I'll just use the words that are in my Bible here, that is the ESV. Faith is being assured and persuaded that what we hope for and cannot see is substantial. Or I sometimes like to call it real. What's real? What you can see or what you can't see? Now that's the question that we're looking at here. Uh, We're persuaded and we are assured that what we hope for is substantial. God himself creates this faith and when he does, we can see what's invisible. A friend of mine was talking to a mate at work and he said, um, he said no, I just can't see. Uh, he said, how do, you know? how do you know that there's God and how do you know that you can trust him? And, he said, uh, and my friend just simply said, well, when you know, you know. Which wasn't a very philosophical answer, but it was a very apt one for the circumstance. Later on, he had to return. He was leaving work and um, this was being said at his farewell. Anyway, he went back for a Christmas party a little afterwards and this person that he was speaking to came up to him and he said, you know that conversation we had? He said, I know. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh, When you know, you know. God himself creates this faith and when he does, we can see what is invisible, experience what can't be measured, you know, they say if you can't measure it, you can't control it. That's a big thing about science, isn't it? And technology, experience what can't be measured and decide on the basis of what can't be projected. That's what it is. But then he goes on very interestingly. For by it the people of old received their commendation. We'll come back to that. But then he says, by faith we understand. And I find this interesting because he's brought in creation but creation isn't a person who's trusted God, which all the other examples are. 
but he brings creation in right at the beginning. Faith by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. (laughs) Very interesting, isn't it? Um, There was nothing visible, nothing to examine before this. God just spoke and then it was. And faith is the assurance and evidence that creation is God's workmanship. We really know that God made the world. And moreover, God expects us to know it as well because he's given us all the evidence. It's interesting. I sometimes say, where's all the evidence for God? And I just look around at the universe and all the scientific (laughs) inquiries and so forth and what we're finding about the size of the universe and... uh, And I say, how much evidence do they want? I think that's what God's saying. How much evidence do they want? In other words, it's perfectly reasonable when God says, uh, I I you should get the point that everything's there because I said so and there's nothing else you can find out behind it. Um, uh, I think it was uh, John Lennox uh, who said that... um, Inquiries are going that one day he, he imagined one of these atheists saying, You know, we've looked and we looked and we looked and we finally discovered that behind everything that's there, there's nothing. And, and then Lennox will just rub his hands with glee and say, Yeah, Bible's been saying that all the time. There was nothing. And then there was the world. Go figure. It's, it's something, isn't it? It's always God's word that makes things happen. Limiting ourselves to what's visible can't give us anything to hope for and that's why it lacks assurance. If the world's only got what's visible, is it sure of itself? Why does it have to throw its weight around so much? Fair question, isn't it? If you're sure, uh, like that song of lovely songs, uh, one of my favourite songs, uh, uh, we greet you, sure redeemer from all strife. Um, and uh, there's a calmness about knowing God. True? Uh, and if you don't know that, then by nature, case, you lack assurance. And so our assurance doesn't come from things that are seen. They precisely come from things that are unseen. Understanding that God creates us by his word answers to everything within us because we are made by him and for him. So it's an interesting Go back a little bit and um, chapter 11, verse 3. So that's the way it is. Um, uh, for, for a start, uh, Noah in verse 7, he goes down to Noah. I'm not, as I said, I'm not going through every verse. Noah being warned by God concerning events is yet unseen. In reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Just imagine the time it takes to make an ark big enough to carry all those animals. Decades. I don't know. We don't really know, but decades. Think of all the scorn he gets. But deep in his heart he knows that he's been, he's been warned of events unseen. Moses, uh, uh, then um, uh, Moses is the same. Go down to verse 27. Um, Moses By faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Do you see that 
creation sets the pattern for believing God's promises or believing having faith because faith is not dependent on things that are seen, it's precisely dependent on things that are unseen. Like creation for a start. There's not a world apart from God. Um, so understanding that God creates by his word answers to everything within us. Um, and um, Abram the same. He leaves his cosy life for one being promised by God. He's looking for something that God builds, something that's solid. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 11, verse 8 to 10, I'll just read it. And by faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. That describe some periods of your life? It's, a, it's not necessarily a comfortable time, it's a good time, isn't it? To actually know, and I think many of us would know, that you felt more secure in those days of not visibility than at other times when you had all your bases covered. It's just the way it is, isn't it? He obeyed, to not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations. Interesting, isn't it? Where's the solid stuff? The solid stuff comes from what's unseen, not from what you can hold in your hands and project, that doesn't make sure-footed people. It might make graspers, it might make people who are strong in this world, but it doesn't make people who are calm in faith. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is, uh, is God. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, same as creation. Uh, there's nothing. And then there's everything. And that might describe our life. You know, he takes you. And what do you feel? Well, nothing. What can I do? Nothing. Oh, it's good. That's good. Because it's God, isn't it, that does, makes things actually happen. So that's where Abram really was. And um, Paul's the same. If we go across to Paul, Paul says that it's the seen things that pass away. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, it's the unseen things that are durable. Now this insight is foreign to the ungodly, but natural to faith. Everything God does starts from what we can't see. Calvin's got a lovely quote, um, and um, I won't read it, uh, but it's there, just a lovely quote that supports some of the things that we've already said. So go down to the third thing. We're just looking at various, uh, sub, various uh, headings, if you like, uh, that appear about um, trusting in what is unseen. Third, God is setting up a world where everything will be as it's intended to be. That is, we're looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Here we're not asking how it gets there. Here we're asking what's it like. Uh, Hebrews calls it a better country. It calls it a heavenly one in 11.16, or a kingdom that can't be shaken. Um, so my point is this, if we believe God can't make anything better than what we see at the moment, he's ashamed to be called our God. Now that's quite something, isn't it? Uh, and my reason for saying so is that Abram uh, believed in God, therefore God was not ashamed to call to be, to be his God. 
For Abram was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So if I'm looking for a church that Grant Thorpe can make, if I'm looking for a family that Chris and I can put together, if I'm looking for a life and an image, whatever, that I can make, then God says, I'm ashamed of you. I wouldn't want to be known as your God. Do you understand that? That uh, we've, we, we were looking for, surely we're looking for something better than what we've got at the moment. When we think of the, just the difficulties, just the sicknesses for a start. And then you think of the persecution, that we add problem to problem. Uh, I just feel so sorry for people who have got medical problems in, in, in um, Ukraine at the moment. And then they've got bombs dropping on them as well. I mean, it's just horrific to think of the suffering that's in this. Is this what your idea of a world? We say, oh, we live in Australia. Not good enough. God's the God of the whole world. And, uh, and what are we longing for? And uh, so, what are we... Uh, and the, it's a fair question. And do you understand how God's wanting to expand our affections and our attentions and our interests and our longings? Our, you know, the Lord's Prayer doesn't start with, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It starts with, oh, Father, your name be hallowed. Oh, Father, your kingdom come. All will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand? God's wanting to expand our affections so that we embrace what God embraces. So there's, um, uh, we long for all that God's about. We said earlier that all God's promises find their yes in Christ and this yes includes not only what he's done in his first coming but what he'll complete in his second coming. I had a friend one time um, down the road or we became friends I should say in the context of him discovering that he had a terminal illness. He was in his 30s. Uh, He was a medical technologist at Flinders University, a very good job, very good pay Uh, and then he has this uh, terminal diagnosis and uh, you know, he rocked up to church in that context that I was going to at the time and we became friends. We used to go for walks together, so we got very close. Anyway, as it came closer, somehow or another, a person gave him a book and I think the name of the book was What You Ask Is What You Get. And uh, he'd come across God promises that God will heal people and he says, if, God, if I die, God's a liar. And I said to him, called him by name, I said, uh, in fact, I was interstate at the time. Uh, it was during my days with AFES, I remember, Neil, and um, uh, I was interstate and um, I heard this comment from him and I said to him, you know, God's promise includes his second coming as well as his first coming. He says, yes, I know that. He never told me what he, how he got through that, but I was with him until he died. And I think he was still a man of faith. But can you see the, the, the trouble we get into if we don't have a big enough view of what God is about? God is about a whole universe, a whole creation. And things are not going to be resolved, we know this, uh, until the Lord comes back again. God's promises include his second coming. That was quite a big step for him to take. And it would be for me if it was my turn. True? That's just how it is, isn't it? Um, so.
So we're looking um, for his second coming. So people who please God look for a city that has foundations, not like the shaky things we tend to trust at the moment. Just think of God and what he did to Babel. God looked at it, and this was not the opinion of the, of the um, op-eds in the papers. Uh, this was the, um, uh, this was the uh, opinion of God. If I don't step down and do something, there'll be nothing they can't do. That's quite an opinion for God to have about Babel, isn't it? And what does God think about all our cleverness with artificial intelligence at the moment? Uh, we can do so much, can't we? Uh, and can God come again and confuse us so that nothing happens? Uh, did God do that precisely to Babylon? Everybody thought Babylon was impregnable. And then you had this great cry coming out of in Jeremiah, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And the cry is picked up in Revelation because it's the history of all of, of, the, of the nations that think that they've got things together. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Um, God says, if I don't do something, they'll think they can do everything. And it's not true. So everything that we think has got foundations, in fact, is, turns out to be shaky. Um, same was true for Daniel having to announce to Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom was going to fall. Not just his kingdom, but the next, you know, there'd be a, a subsequent kingdom, and then there'd be another kingdom, and then there'd be another one, and then there'd be a rock cut out without hands, and it would fall at the base of all world power. And at the end, there would just be Christ and his kingdom, and it would fill the whole world. Is that, is that the promise we're living with? So are we really troubled about Russia and China? Are they the big powers? Well, they look big, but what are we trusting? Scoffers think the promise of God's return is a fiction, but Peter tells us the reason why, you know, in other words, they say, oh, some people scoff and say, where is the promise of his coming? Everything's remained as it was from the beginning. Nothing changes. And we've got 20 centuries since Christ came of that kind of, of that kind of thinking, of that kind of, in fact, um, 20 centuries. But Peter tells us the reason for his delay is not incompetence or carelessness, but patience with our race. God is not willing that any should perish. Is that the big waters we're learning to swim in? It's big, isn't it? Um, so, God is setting up a world where everything will be intended, will be as he intended it to be. I just find it uh, incomprehensible for anybody to think that God can make a creature like any human being and then just bury it. He's made us in his image. Uh, when it were We've got immortality and it's been brought to life to us by Jesus Christ. That's our destiny. And we've got to let our minds expand to think that. Fourth, all people who are waiting are in fact busy. I just love this. If you just went through and did a verse search through chapter 11 and found out how much was spent on this kind of description and how much was spent on describing activity, there's a lot of it that's activity, isn't it? Uh, Abram did this, uh, Noah did this, um, and, um, uh, and then uh, Moses did this, and then it goes on and says, and then there was uh, the judges, they did this, they did this, they did this, all the way through, isn't it? 
uh, and then at the end of it it says some of them succeeded, they, they, create, they got kingdoms, they received promises, which is an interesting statement. Others have got persecuted, sawn in two, and all sorts of other things went wrong. <laughs> but they were all doing something. And whether it looked like a success in this world or a failure in this world is not the point here. The point is they were doing something. In other words, promise had engaged their affections and their attentions and their enthusiasm and their energy and they were mobile. So it's very interesting. That's the the point here. Um, They're all busy. The catalogue of accomplishments attributed to faith is impressive. Abram doesn't sit and meditate. He leaves everything and takes up what God is going to do with him and his family. That's quite something, isn't it? And then he even waits decades for the child that God promises him. And so it goes on. Moses, and somehow or another, that story has got through to his family, so much so that, that Joseph, who knows something about world power, because he's become 2IC to the leading fellow at the time, um, wants his bones taken back to the promised land. So great-great-grandfather Abram had really got his story through to him, hadn't he? Interesting. The hope had not died. Uh, they believed that there was something there even though they didn't own the territory at the time. Um, Moses prefers trouble with God's people to safe, safety and celebrity in Egypt. I mean, he was quite a fellow. He was 40 years of age when he went out there and thought he'd side up with uh, his own people. Um, and um, he gets into trouble, of course, but he prefers that trouble to be with the, than to just, the, just going on being the princess's son. Sometimes God's people seem to succeed and other times fail, but it's God who knows what will last. Being assured there will be a good outcome gives us energy and a readiness to endure hardship. So God's promises are ringing, if God's promises are ringing in our ears and warming our hearts, and that's, I've quoted all the verses where the word promise occurs, you see. Um, in other words, this is a, this is a passage about God's promise, that's why we're looking at it. We'll do things that fit God's eternal plan. That's what we're about now. We've been promised eternal life. Now, if you look up all the references to eternal life, as I did this week, then most of them are referring to what we're going to get. We'll inherit eternal life. Uh, That seems to be the general references forward rather than present. We've been promised eternal life, and by faith we've already have eternal life because John 5:24 uh, indicates that in 17:3 it makes it clear and this is eternal life that that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent I know God as father and I know Jesus Christ as lord I have eternal life by Jesus definition true and um, the same is true in 1 John 3 if you if no murderer, he says, referring to Cain, has eternal life dwelling in him. So that which God is going to grant to us, in fact, in days to come, we already have within our very beings. The seeds of it, if you like, are already there uh, because we know the Father and we know the Son. And uh, I put change the terminology, but it's the same kind of uh, moves in the same arena. 2 Corinthians 5.70, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. And in fact, uh, the Greek pundits like to tell us, the, the, the verse goes something like, Jeff, you probably know it very well. 
If anyone's in Christ, new creation, not is, new creation. That's kind of an exclamation. Look, <laughs> look what's happened. Um, so um, it's wonderful. We're a new creation, already part of the future God is making. So everything done now through faith is eternal. This means an enormous amount to me and to Chris. It's a, it's a lovely statement. We're not just doing stuff to get by. Everything. You say, oh yeah, but a lot of what I do is pretty mundane. Well, what about the fellow who millenniums from now is up there in heaven and, uh, and the Lord says, yeah, you can come in. Uh, well, this is actually at the point of coming in. He says, yes, you can come in uh, because when I was in prison, you gave me a cup of cold water. Oh, no, 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 that. You remember? You went and took a cup of cold water to a fellow. You visited him in prison. Uh, and inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. So you might have just been mulling around the time. But if you were doing things in love and you're doing things in obedience to God's will, it's eternal. Jesus is talking about it ages from now. Amazing, isn't it? And the one I really love about the, when the wedding of the, of the um, bride, of the, of the uh, church um, to Christ in heaven is being described in Revelation chapter 19. It says that she's got a nice white robe on, which is not surprising. That's what, you know, often brides do. So they have a nice white dress. Yeah, but the white, what's the white dress? The white dress, this is our wedding, mind you, and you want to be just right for the wedding, okay? Uh, righteous deeds of the saints. You'll be wearing it when you get you married as the church to Christ. It's pretty special what you're doing now. It's eternal. And what a wonderful thing to know that our mundane life, if it's done in love and if it's done in the kingdom, uh, in the ordinary ways of life, is actually eternal. Um, so now, if you're a politician, <laughs> you have to do what is expedient, all right? You just have to do what will get past the parliament. That's just politics, right? You can't, you can't just uh, uh, be in power if you're not going to somehow adapt and find what suits a majority of people. Uh, but we're not being politicians when it comes to the kingdom. If you are building what's eternal, you'll make sure you're doing something that Jesus will acknowledge. You know, when the church does what is politic. When the church does what will put more numbers or money in the plate, uh, can you understand that it's acting uh, not in a kingdom manner? But if we're building what's eternal, we'll make sure what we're doing is something that Jesus acknowledges. And in fact, my understanding is that what's eternal is what's best for the world now. Would that we had more businessmen who knew that honesty pays. Not pays from man, but pays from God. Um, in fact, I'm quite sure that a lot of the good that happens in Western societies is because we've been impregnated with so much of God's teaching about somebody else being, in being looking over our shoulder, not just the government. True. It's the eternal things that make a decent society, to be honest. Uh, but that, of course, the world doesn't see it that way. 
Now lastly, um, we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And here, of course, I've travelled over to chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Um, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, yes, to you and me as well, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, that is, who got my faith up and running. Christ spoke to me. Uh, if I don't think you can become a Christian, biblically, according to Romans 10 anyway, um, uh, without hearing the voice of Christ. I don't mean audibly. But Christianity is not just signing on a dotted line. It's not just making a decision. It's you hearing the word of Christ and you're born again. God has spoken in the mouth of Christ and you are a new creation, just as dynamic as Adam coming out of a lump of dirt. It's just like that. And um, so uh, he is the author and the finisher and perfecter that you bring it right to its goal, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, it's love that keeps hope alive, and that's what we've already quoted in, earlier on in Romans chapter 5. Um, Hope does not disappoint us. You've been trusting God's promises. You've had a promise in your brain, maybe for a decade, maybe for uh, just a couple of weeks or whatever, and you're just getting disappointed. Hope does not disappoint us. Not because you get a breakthrough, but hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. God has invited us into his agenda. And by his Holy Spirit, he puts his own love for the world, his own love for your family, his own love for you. And he doesn't just want you to slob into heaven, he wants you to grow and expand. And so tribulation works patience and patience. Patience, do I have to? Yes, because patience gives you character. And character... Uh, experienced uh, uh, tested tested character and and character doesn't leave us ashamed and the character develops hope you want some more hope get some character do you see it's not just a breakthrough and we're teaching kids just to get a breakthrough yeah get a breakthrough it just happens you know like that no you've got to go through stuff you've got to put up with stuff you've got to hang in over the long haul that's just true psychologically It's certainly true Christianly because in the midst of it, God's love, this is what God wants. He wants his love. I've got the whole world in my mind and I've engaged you and here's my promises. So what I'm saying to you isn't just for you, it's for those around you. And so God's love is shed abroad in our hearts and so hope does not disappoint us. And that's the way that it actually works. So listening to what God promises shows us that God's never given up taking the initiative. This is going right back to where we started at the beginning of the series. God's never lost the initiative. The minute, and before of course, but certainly the minute Adam and Eve sinned, God's there with a promise. In one sense, the world hasn't changed the skerrick. God is totally in control before and after the fall. It's all controlled by his promise. Never been any different.
He's never lost the initiative and revealing them to us has opened eternity up to us, not just in the future, but now. And when God makes promises, we'll be taken out of our depths, we'll need to swim, but this is what we're made for. It's the way the whole creation is. It operates because God says something. We've never been meant to live within the limits of what's visible. Rather, we're meant to live by every word that God speaks. And a lot of what he said hasn't happened yet. So by nature of the case, we need to hear his promises and wait for the reward. Well, let's just pray. Father, we just feel as we recount these things from Hebrews that um, all of us are being stretched and... Um, Some of it may not even be comfortable for us at the moment. But we pray, dear Father, because your promise is so rich and so wonderful and so necessary for us, that you'll help us to hang in and uh, see how wonderful it is that you make promises to us. And we pray this not only for our sakes, Father, but that our world may see that you are the faithful God who's never given up. Love your universe. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.